0: Hey, it's Erica. I just wanted to let you know that you can now listen to Global News What Happened To ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Hey, this is Erica. Over the past nine months on this podcast, we have brought you 17 stories that gripped the world's attention and then seemed to disappear from the news. Today, we wanted to do something a little different. I have a really talented team that helps me put this podcast together, and we wanted to take you inside the show and answer some of the questions you've sent my way over the course of the past year— To do that, I'm going to bring on a friend and the guy behind this podcast who helped turn an idea I had over a year ago into What Happened To, the podcast you hear now. So please welcome Chris Duncombe, the director of Curious Cast.
1: Uh, Erica, I'm really excited that we had this opportunity to spend a bit of time and talk about the podcast and the whole process and how we got here. Um, a lot of your listeners know your voice from the podcast, obviously, but, but may not know a whole lot about your background. I wonder if you mind if we discuss a little bit of that off the top.
0: Yeah, for sure. So uh right now I work uh as a reporter with Global Toronto and what I really love about my job is the fact that uh you know every single day is a different story. So uh, I work uh, primarily on breaking news. So if something happens uh, during the the day or in the evening, I'm out. I'm, I'm the first person that's usually called to head to uh, the scene. So it's, it's a really kind of cool um, change to be able to work on this podcast uh, because we often know with uh, the daily news cycle, things change so quickly. Uh, one day uh, we could be um, covering crime in the city and the next state could be uh, a big policy announcement that either comes from the uh, local or provincial government so um, you know this is uh, a great uh, way for me to actually be able to dig into a story it's a thing that really journalists love um, about their job is to actually sink their teeth into a, a large story and really examine it from the from the very beginning to sort of where we are now
1: hmm So you're working for Global News Toronto now. Uh, and the interesting thing maybe a lot of people don't know about you is you actually started working for Global News, essentially out of university in 2015. Um, and uh, And you've worked on some pretty incredible investigative stories since then. Talk to me about that transition from being a journalism student to actually being a journalist and starting to sink your teeth into the investigative side of what you now do.
0: Well, Chris, you know, I think in order to to get there, I I really need to talk about (laughs) something that goes even way back before um, I went into journalism. I actually, I don't know if you actually know this, but uh, I started, um, I I went to school originally for theater. I went to Ryerson University and studied theater. uh, And and part of my dream when I was growing up was I wanted to be an actor and tell stories, uh, you know, uh, through performing arts. But, um, you know, after uh, I was finished theater school, I found, I found that I needed to do something more. I needed, um, something else in my life. So that's when I kind of transitioned into journalism. And I found that what I really loved about acting and theater was the storytelling. So that's, was a really easy transition for me to go into, um, journalism. So, um, That's where I found my home here at Global News. And I was able to work on some really uh, awesome series. I did a series on GMOs with uh, Alison Bushnick, an incredible uh, reporter, producer, um, really a jack of all trades when it comes to her work here at Global News. I was also able to work on other projects, um, a cold case series where we uh, looked at some cold cases that happened here in Ontario. Uh, I worked alongside um, Global Toronto, Anchor, Farah Nasser with that. And there's been tons of other projects that I've really uh, been able to sink my teeth into. So again, this was really, Really, a natural transition to be able to use um, some of the skills that I developed in these projects and relay them or bring them into the work that we do here in the podcast.
1: What do you think it was that fascinated you so much about the stories you ended up telling on this podcast that, that made you want to approach investigative journalism in a different way? Podcasting is very different from what you do for broadcast. And I wonder if you can sort of just give us a bit of a sense of that, of, why the interest in doing this and and what was most important to you when you started to think about actually approaching a podcast like this?
0: Well, I think for me, um, when I was doing my work on the cold case series, uh, which was quite a few years ago now um, it really kind of uh, sunk in to me at that point that, you know, the people who are at the center of these stories that we cover on a day to day, you know, while it might be our focus for that one day and it will be uh, the story that we tell on um, the 536 uh, or the 11 o'clock uh, news uh, show, you know, the people who are at the center of these stories, they still continue to live with the impacts for Days, months, years, you know, potentially for the rest of their lives. So that Mm -hmm. was something that I really wanted to get into with each of these episodes. Um, You know, what happened to the people who were uh, affected by these stories? We all move on, but the people, um, you know, who are involved haven't. And they may have moved on in different ways, or what has happened in their life that has sort of shifted the trajectory because of these events?
1: The the stories that, we've chosen to tackle on this podcast are as diverse as the people at the center of every single one. Um, I wonder when you think about what you chose to tackle, what's the common thread um, beyond the fact that these are stories worth telling? What's the common thread now that you look back between all of these?
0: I think it's the humanity um, hearing each person, the humanity that they share in each of these different events um, and how candid and vulnerable they are when they share these stories. Um, I find that, you know, uh, the ALS ice bucket challenge is vastly different than the Pulse nightclub shooting, uh, which is also different from Boko Haram and the Mm -hmm. Bring Back Our Girls campaign. But the pain or the emotion that each of the people feel in all of these different topics is is still very present. it's very real and and I think it's something that listeners can relate to or um, really understand just from getting to know the people at um, the core of these stories.
1: I'm so glad that you chose the word humanity because I think when I listen and we all listen, to the way that you've presented these stories, humanity is probably the most prominent word I would use to describe it. There's there's a genuine humanity in your journalism Uh, in finding the people at the center of these stories. Look, it's one thing to retell a story of something that's happened in recent history that grabbed all of our attention. It's a very different story to be told when you actually find someone at the center of each one um, who, as you suggested, um, is impacted by this event, not just now and weeks in the future, but for the rest of their lives. And I wonder what it's like for you to talk to someone at the center of some of these stories, whether they're uh, tragedies or um, stories of resilience and and determination. I wonder what that feeling is like when you finally connect with someone at the center of a story that you've been investigating.
0: Well, I'll tell you one of the most exciting parts when I pick up a, a new episode or I start researching a new episode is being able to find that person. It's it's the most challenging part, but it's also when you secure that interview, um, it is like I get a rush. It's that's the best way to describe it. It's this this feeling, this this rush of uh, emotions that I get being able to know that uh, this person's going to be able to trust me um, to handle their story and share it with with others uh, and to share it through this podcast. Um, and I know for me, you know. It's being able to handle um, each person's story with with such care. Um, I'll use the ALS ice bucket challenge as an example. You know, this um, this episode. Um, you know, I had when I started researching it, I had a, a real baseline understanding about what ALS is and. You know, I took part in uh, I took part in the ice bucket challenge, but then when I started scratching the surface uh, of this story and hearing the Frady's family story, it took it to a whole new level for me. It just it was personal. It became personal. I, I heard Julie spoke uh, speaking so candidly, and the way that she described you know how she and Pete met and their relationship. You know, when I was listening to her talk, it just it sounded like this, this love story that you would read about or you would watch um, on a movie. Um, and it, again, she spoke with so, so much honesty when speaking about the ugliness of this disease. Uh, so I knew after speaking with her that I had to handle this story with such care. You no, know, this isn't. This isn't just a social media campaign. Uh, it's an event that gave people a, a chance to really understand how awful this disease, and it showed me that there there really is a face uh, behind uh, these campaigns. I would
1: imagine. You do a bunch of investigation on a particular story, and all of that can change when you meet <clears throat> when excuse me, when you meet someone at the center of these stories. um, just like you're talking about here, not only does it become more human, but you must view the story with a bit of a different lens when you speak to someone who has actually gone through it, which is not something that all journalists get to be part of.
0: Yeah, you know, I'm going to actually reference another story just to, to speak on that. You, for me, uh, Lac-Megantic um, and covering that story was was a perfect example of this. You know, uh, researching it, I, I remember looking at through all of the photos and the videos that we had in our archives Um and I remember, you know, I had a very distinct picture in my head uh, of, of what Lac-Megantic looked like. And uh, if you recall from the episode, I actually had a chance to travel to Lac-Megantic to speak with with some of the people who were um, in the town when the train derailment happened. And I, I remember very clearly uh, the moment that I was driving uh, to Lac-Megantic and, and arriving and just being shocked at how beautiful this town was. And, uh, you know, there's a, a beautiful um, waterfront and the homes are just, it's just the most picturesque uh, town. There's a, a church in the center with a, a beautiful ornate steeple. And I wish, I, I realized that I was shocked and I had to really remind myself, you know, Erica, this, this derailment was in 2013 and of course, um, you know, <laughs> they've, They've been rebuilding. Mm-hmm. But still, the images that I had seen in my research, it was sort of ingrained in my brain. And I, thats it was almost like that's what I was expecting to walk into mm-hmm. or, or drive into. So this was a, a kind of full um, circle moment for me. You know, this is the reason why I'm doing this podcast It's because we see a two minute news story. Um, and, you know, that isn't the whole story. The pictures that we see doesn't reflect, um, you know, how much the, the full story. Um, so this podcast really helps create a more full picture.
1: There are consistent stories of human resilience um, that are found in the 17 stories in season one. Probably most exemplified by the 33 trapped Chilean miners in 2010, 69 days underground. This must be a monumental task when you approach this one, uh, and then you start speaking to people at the center of this story. How, how did you even approach telling the story of the Chilean miners? and And I wonder what stuck with you most now that you're on the other side of it, having investigated it, met the people at the center of the story, and, and telling their story.
0: This one was an incredibly exciting um, episode because I think it was. It was we started working on it pretty early on. Um, and this was the first episode that we really knew that um, nothing was impossible when it came to finding um, very strong characters for each of uh, of the episodes. Um, so when we started this podcast, you know, I made a promise to myself that I, I wanted uh, people who were, again, at the core of these stories, but I knew it was going to be obviously a Incredible challenge uh, to find one of the thirty-three uh, Chilean miners. You know, there's language barriers, but they're also in a, a country that's thousands of kilometers away. So it it almost seemed impossible at times. Uh, but with the help of uh, our producer Dila Belezquez, uh she um, could speak Spanish, and and once we managed to track down the contact information for Mario, uh, it all sort of came. Together and hearing his story was, I remember um, uh, standing with Dila in uh, the audio booth um, and and she was speaking with him and we were recording and I, I was listening to him speak. And even though I couldn't understand exactly what he was saying, the emotion that he conveyed. It, it it took my breath away, uh, and when I listened back to the episode, I really I had to take a moment uh, to think to myself. You know, we we really did it.
1: it it's an incredible story that reminds us all that <laughs> how powerful human determination can be, um, and and I'm so glad that that is one that you were able to tell here in season one. One of the other episodes um, that I would ask you a little bit about is you meet these powerful dynamic people who have literally come through slaughter and survived and are now telling you um, a firsthand account of what that was like. I wonder what your impressions were when approaching the Boko Haram series of episodes and specifically about meeting Hanatu Stevens.
0: This was another one of those stories um Chris, where I wasn't, I you know, I, I was worried. I wasn't sure I was going to be able to tell this in a, a real meaningful way. But thankfully, uh, with the the help of Brennan Leffler, who is a uh, freelance journalist here at Global News, he worked on a documentary uh, called Captive with Canadian journalist Melissa Fung about Boko Haram. And he... Helped connect me to the power players involved. Uh, he set me up with uh, a journalist in Nigeria named uh, Kabiru Anwar, who, in turn, again connected me to Hanatu. and And hearing her story, um, it was uh, you know you, you, you really understood the pain and trauma was was never going to go away. Um, and it's you know for us here in in, in North America, it's so. Easy for us to feel disconnected from the suffering uh, these women, children, and even uh, young boys have been exposed to. But I really wanted people to know just because we don't see it or read about it every single day, that threat, that pain, you know, the suffering, that's all still there. Um, Each story in this podcast, has challenges and rewards. Um, some are, are literal challenges, uh, things like translations. Uh, this was something that we kind of experienced with Boko Haram. But again, thankfully, with with those connections um, that Brennan helped me with and and Kibiru, uh, we were able to really... Um, Look at this story and and tackle it in a way where I think uh, we had some really meaningful conversations about, um, you know, the threat that uh, Boko Haram has on people um, and the fear that uh, many people in Nigeria continue uh, to feel.
1: Hanatu Stevens was one of the most amazing figures to have in any of these stories. One of the others um, on a very different story, the story of Brandon Wolf and specifically the Pulse nightclub shooting from from June 2016. Brandon was an unbelievable um, person to have uh, on the show and and to explain that story in a way that only he could. Uh, I wonder if you could give me your impressions of first meeting Brandon and and what it was like to hear the story through his voice and be able to tell it um, from having connected with Brandon.
0: Yeah, you know, I had a a few conversations with Brandon um, before the actual interview, and I knew probably right after the first conversation, uh, that this was going to be a, a tough story to cover. Um, the interview itself uh, was powerful. Uh, I mean, he spoke so honestly, and he recounted uh, events with such a vivid uh, memory. Um, I was so moved after our conversation that I really wanted to. I really wanted that to come across um, in the script as well as the edit of this episode. And you know, I think it did because we had we had people reaching out who said uh, Brandon's story had a profound impact on them. I think probably. Um, one of the most moving things about this episode was just, uh, you know, the resilience after having gone through so much trauma, he continues um, to be, he continues to really fight for a world that uh, his best friend would be proud of. But there was something else that he spoke to me about that really, really stuck with me. Um, and that, uh, you know, it had, it wasn't really a linear, you um, you know, grief isn't a a linear path, you know, it can be very complicated. And especially after events like this, uh, where we have these mass shootings, you know, we see uh, the pictures on the news, uh, where people are together, holding each other in vigils and really coming together to support each other. But, you know, after, things can be, grief can be messy. You know, people can grieve in different ways. And that was something that that, um, Brandon really explained to me as well. You know, it it wasn't um, just people can can be divided. People can come together. And I think that was something that was very clear in in this episode as well.
1: It's an incredibly powerful episode. And when you think about the breadth of stories that that we were able to tackle in season one, they cover nearly every aspect of humanity, it seems. Look, our entire world's changed with the pandemic. Um, one of the most interesting pieces for me when I think about this podcast is that before COVID-19, you were uh, headlong into an, an investigation on SARS and the telling of that story. I wonder, you know, when you view where we are now uh, versus where you were when you started the investigation of that story, I, I wonder when you think back now, um, how dramatically different things are and and how you'd even approach that now, telling that story in the face of what we now know.
0: You know, SARS was a a very interesting story. I mean, I started researching that episode uh, in December 2019. At that point, uh, the podcast had been greenlit. And we were prepping stories ahead of, of launch. but um, And SARS was one of the first episodes, uh, and I thought it was going to be fairly straightforward. Uh, we were covering uh, an epidemic um, and how the situation uh, unfolded here, specifically in Toronto back in 2003. But I remember in January... Um, I was doing an interview with Dr. Allison McGear. Um, and she said, You know, wow, that's, it's really interesting that you're doing this episode now. And I remember asking her, I was like, What do you mean? And she's like, Well, are you not seeing what's happening uh, in Wuhan right now? And it was really, really, really early days. Like we hadn't even really been um, talking about any of uh, what was happening um, in Wuhan until. A, a, A few weeks into January. Um, So at that point, I remember thinking, you know, what is she talking about? And then I started um, doing some research. And then we started slowly seeing um, the news trickle into our newsroom, as well as the coverage, we started covering it uh, a lot more. And you know, I remember, (laughs) I remember calling Dila and being like, well, it's not going to work. SARS is just just not going to work the script that we had. So I had to kind of start right from the beginning with the lens of this, um, uh, pandemic. And it really, what I, it, it, really informed, um, my reporting, uh, moving forward because I had an understanding of, of what SARS was. And while SARS and COVID-19 are two, um, vastly different, um, viruses in the ways that they spread, there are, you know, they, they are in, in a sense in the same family. So, Um, You know, nobody could have anticipated uh, a global pandemic. And um, it it was a a really uh, interesting way to have to kind of shift and tell the story to reflect what was happening uh, in the news uh, in that current time.
1: So independent of understanding the human stories to each of these, at times you have had to become a quick expert uh, in things like nuclear science, and and when you approached Fukushima, and and the meltdown, um, you had to spend a great deal of time actually understanding what happened in order to be able to tell that story effectively, independent of connecting with people at the center of it. Tell me about that process, because you approach stories that are so diverse in nature. How do you become a quick expert in any of these and and tell me about that process in truly trying to understand what happened
0: um you know part of the reason why i um, went into journalism was because of I have this <laughs> this this thirst for knowledge and um I should say that with each episode, uh, really none of it would be possible without um the, the, the people who have contributed to the rep- the episode. So uh, with Fukushima in particular, you know, I remember sitting on the phone um, with uh, Chris Dorosta, who is uh, a, a nuclear scientist who worked at UBC, who works at UBC, and having him sort of explain to me how this all works, uh, his patience and being able to really set um, a, a clear picture as to what Uh, you know, happened uh, at the Fukushima Daiichi nuclear plant. So uh, really, and that's the case with all uh, of the episodes that we covered. I know with acid rain as well, that was, it was complicated. I wanted to understand how does acid rain form? These are the kind of questions that I want to be able to um, explain to listeners because I'm kind of entering, uh, when I start researching an episode, I'm kind of entering in with the same sort of baseline knowledge that a lot of our our listeners have. So uh, I want to be able to answer the questions that, you know, to be able to set the foundations to, that will help, Them better understand a story. So that's what we saw with Fukushima as well as acid rain and really all the stories is that I wouldn't (laughs) be able to do this without um, having those experts really sit down and explain to me. And then from there, obviously, a lot of reading and research on my own time once I get that sort of baseline knowledge.
1: When we sat down to talk about this, what happened to didn't even have a name at that point. It was literally an idea to tell stories that had grabbed the world's attention and then. fallen away, but we wanted to go back and tell the stories of, of the people who had gone through it. We wanted to keep it uh, prominent in the minds of people around the world, that these were important stories that continue to be important now. I wonder now that you're on the other side of it and you look back at the breadth of work in just this first season, if you were to think about all of the episodes, I wonder what you would say is the most challenging one that you had to approach? and. What ended up being the most rewarding? And, and maybe they were the same thing.
0: I think that's a, a tough question to answer because in, in, in each um, episode, each one posed uh, challenges and each one was very much uh, rewarding. I would say in terms of logistics, I would Boko Haram was likely one of the most um, challenging um, because we uh, were dealing with people who have been impacted by uh, Boko Haram, who, who live in these really remote uh, villages in Nigeria. So being able to coordinate those actual interviews, and then to be able to find, um, you know, translations and, and being able to make sure that we are um, accurately, um, you know, telling the stories uh, through translations. You um, um, Hanatu Stevens speaks Hausa, so we had to lean on Kibiru for that, to help us with with that translation. Um, but, I, you know, listening then to the two episodes after once the final edit was done, it was hugely rewarding. You know, this was a story that uh, was one that I had on my list of uh, potential stories when we began talking about what happened to um, but I, I wasn't sure it would be a hundred percent possible. Um, but you know, it was incredibly rewarding once you actually get to hear, you know, um, hear the, the finished product. And then another that I would say, um, was incredibly, uh, rewarding was, uh, the, and as, as well as difficult, um, was the Quebec mosque shooting. Um, it was, a devastating story. Uh, it was one of the first times that I re- recall, I spoke with, I'm um, in and it was one of the first times that I really recall speaking uh, with a survivor who so vividly remembers the events of that night, like literally minute by minute, second by second. Um, and, you know, we launched that episode in May And then it was a month later that we saw uh, an attack in in London. You know, the stories that we cover um, in this podcast, while a lot of them happened years ago, um, some decades ago, there's there's always a a relevance to what we're seeing happen in the news cycle on a day-to-day. And I think that is very much the case for the Quebec mosque shooting. Um, That was very much the case, uh, even for acid rain. The acid rain uh, um, crisis happened in the 80s. But you know, we're we're, um, right now in the midst of talking about other huge environmental issues like climate change and, and others. So, you know, while these stories happened years ago, there's we can always find a connection to what we're seeing happen in the news today.
1: Absolutely. No question. Um, when you start to think about where the show goes from here, I, without giving away too much, are there stories that you have on the top of your mind that you want to tackle as you approach the next season for what happened to?
0: Yes. I've been very, very lucky to have, uh, our listeners be, um, writing into us, uh, writing into me and, and letting, um, giving us some ideas. And, you know, there's been an overwhelming request for one story in particular that uh, we've already started to do a little bit of digging on. Uh, And that's Kony 2012. If you remember that viral video um, done by Invisible Children, um, which, uh, you know, shed light on the LRA and Joseph Kony. Um, So that is one that I'm I'm really hoping to kind of dig into a little bit, um, potentially for for season two.
1: And a brief glance of just a few of the comments that come into the show um, on a daily basis really reveals how much this show has connected with people, how hungry people are to know more about these major news events that have happened in recent history that have sort of shaken all of us. Um, and I'm excited to see where we're going to go here in season two. I really want to congratulate you on the work that you did um, for this first season. I specifically want to congratulate you on now being an award-winning podcaster, having won an RTDNA award um, for excellence for this podcast. And um, congratulations, as I know you've poured your heart into this show, and, and you certainly deserve the recognition that you're now receiving
0: well thank you so much you know um i, I always say that there is a small but mighty team behind this podcast <laughs> and obviously wouldn't be able to um none of it would be able to happen without you as well as dila rob um and you know we've had so many people uh, really help um uh, make this uh podcast what it is
1: absolutely So there are an endless universe of stories to tell. And just deciding what we're going to include in Season 2 is going to be a monumental task. But I am so excited for the days forward. Uh, If you have not uh, checked out all of the episodes currently and What Happened to, they are all available for free right now wherever you find your favorite podcasts, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, and everywhere else. Uh, Stories ranging from the Chilean Miners and Lac Megantic to the Pulse nightclub shooting. And so many more, the stories in this series are diverse, uh, but if there is one thing that unites them, it is truly the humanity uh, and connecting with people at the center of every single one which is something you often can't capture when you're dealing with um, headlines and, and broadcasts. So I'm, I'm so glad that you've been able to tell these stories in such a unique way. I'm so excited for the days ahead. And uh, Eric, I just want to thank you for taking us inside the show today a little bit. You can check out all of the episodes right now. Please go ahead and do so. Start at the beginning because they're just fantastic. 17 stories for you to check out in this first season. And season two is right on the horizon. So, Erica, thank you.
0: Thank you, Chris. Thank you for joining us today on this special episode of What Happened To. It's been such a pleasure sharing each and every episode with you over the last few months, and we hope to bring you more next season. If you're joining us for the first time, you can take a listen to some of the incredible stories we covered this first season. I also wanted to thank the team behind Global News What Happened To. Producer, Dila Velezquez, as well as our audio producer, Rob Johnson. Also, Stephanie D'Souza, who helped with editing, and Drew Hasselback. We are continuing to look at stories for our next season. So if you have a new story you want us to revisit, reach out to me at erica.vela, or on Twitter at Erica Vella. We'll see you in the fall.